D.L. Moody is quoted as saying, God doesn't expect the impossible from us. He wants us to expect the impossible from Him. I hope you have your Bible open at Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll be looking at uh, some verses there. I'm going to begin today with a three-part series sermon on praying with the giants. Praying with the giants. That's the name of this series today. And the, uh, the more particular message for today is to... Um, well, wait a minute. I won't tell you yet. I'll tell you soon. So we've got a general title for the next three sermons, the next three Sundays, Praying with the Giants. And we have a subtitle. I'm not going to tell you yet. I'll tell you in a minute. Have you ever wished that your prayer life was more effective or was more exciting? Many of us have struggles in that area. When it comes time to pray, you know, it's after about two minutes, we've gone through everything. We don't know what else to pray for. So we say amen and we shuffle away. Unfortunately, that's, that's a case repeated far too often in the lives of Christians. And it needn't be that way. Um, my study of prayer began when I was saved and I'd read about these prayer giants and uh, just how throughout the Bible and Christian history and the amazing, wonderful things that they would accomplish through prayer. And I often wondered, wow, what is the secret of their power? I wish I knew how to pray with the giants. When I got into Bible college, I got a hold of a book and I read it. It was by Dr. John R. Rice on prayer. And it was entitled Prayer, Asking and Receiving. And I'd highly suggest you read that book. That is a very well-written book. Prayer, Asking and Receiving by Dr. John R. Rice. John Rice was a prayer warrior. John Rice was a prayer giant. And in his book, he talked about how at times he would get on his knees at night and pray through the night. And he would talk of others who did the same thing. And so there in Bible college, as I read this, I decided that I would do the same thing. And I got on my knees at my bunk bed there and I started praying. And before I knew it, it was morning. I had fallen asleep and I woke up in bed with the covers up to my chin. And I thought, what, what happened? What just happened here? Oh, I fell asleep. And so I thought, I'll try it again. Uh, Tomorrow night. So the next night I got on my knees and more determined now than the night before. And I woke up in the morning with the covers up to my chin. I fell asleep again. I did it again. And this dismal failure repeated itself several times. And I thought, I am a failure. I'm a loser. And what am I going to do here? So I, I did something. I wrote a letter to Dr. John R. Rice. Now, uh, that, he was pretty old, and within about a year, he had died and gone to heaven. But, uh, no, no, none of us knew that that was going to happen. But I wrote him this letter. He wrote me back. I actually have his letter in my piling system somewhere uh, of his, his reply back to me. And I wrote him. I said, Dr. Rice, this is my problem here. What's wrong with me? What's the problem? 
And he wrote back and he said, Brother White. And here I was, this young kid in Bible college. He called me Brother White. And you know what? I'm not going to tell you what he said. I'll tell you at the end of the sermon. How about that? That way, that'll help keep someone from falling asleep. Well, anyhow, um, my, uh, my study of prayer has lasted now 46 years, but it's only been in the last six years that I've really started to learn the secrets of praying with the giants. And I wish I had learned these things 46 years ago. They would have changed my life. Uh, my life, my history, my 46-year history of being a Christian and living for the Lord would be totally different if I had learned these lessons back then at day one. Now, I haven't a clue if I'm a prayer giant. Don't ask me. I don't know. That's not the point. The point is not whether we can call ourselves prayer giants. The point is, can we pray effectively? That's the point. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, The effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's the point. Is your prayer life, is it effective? Do you have an excitement to get alone with God? Can you feel like you can almost reach out and touch Him? These are things that accompany the secrets of prayer. So I wish I had learned these things many years ago. But starting today, we're going to start a three-part sermon series. So that'll be today and next Sunday and the Sunday after. This is all God willing. Uh, on the subject of prayer, how to pray with the giants. Now let's begin with a word of prayer, okay? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Our Heavenly Father, we really want to know more about prayer. And the disciples at one point came to the Lord Jesus himself and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Our Father, we confess before you that we're oft times dismal failures when it comes to effectual prayer, fervent effectual prayer. We ask your forgiveness. We ask that you would teach us. We want to be willing students and teach our hearts. Lord, how can we pray with the giants? Whether we become a giant in prayer or not, how can we pray along with the giants? Lord, teach us the secrets. And again, I pray that if someone is here or watching today who's not saved, they would learn to pray to Jesus for salvation. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's begin with asking this question. What is prayer? Now, some of you may think, well, we don't need to start there. No, we do. We really do, because remember, there are, there are uh, new people, there are younger believers, there are unsaved, all part of Grace Baptist Church. And so it's a good place to start. What is prayer? What is prayer? People, many people misunderstand what prayer is, the very nature and essence of prayer. Now, some people think that prayer is meant to bring about nice feelings of peace and tranquility, something like, yoga and meditation other people think that prayer means speaking in tongues speaking in an unknown language to god other people think that prayer 
means repeating certain words or phrases over and over and over and over and over again like a chant. Now the problem is that none of these ideas, none of these ideas line up with what God says in the Bible about what prayer is. Have nothing to do with prayer. Now it's true that while we are in prayer, our hearts can be comforted and encouraged at times and even excited. But listen, if you're taking notes, write this down. This is important. The essence of prayer, the essence of prayer is a lifeline to God. I'll repeat this. The essence of prayer is a lifeline to God. The essence of prayer is a lifeline to God to ask Him our requests, to ask Him our requests, and to seek His wisdom and counsel. The essence of prayer is a lifeline to God in order to ask Him our requests and to seek His wisdom and counsel. And that's a, a fairly uh, concise, accurate, biblically accurate definition of prayer. We do want to try to be as right about these things as we can after all. And so ask Him our requests and seek His wisdom and counsel. I think this is why John R. Rice entitled his book, Asking, sorry, Prayer, Asking and Receiving. The very essence of the word prayer means to ask for something. That's what the word prayer actually technically means when you boil it all down. I know there's a bunch of other things connected with it, but the very nature of that one word prayer means to ask, to ask. In sign language, you know, they say ask. There's the, put the hook in, I guess, maybe is where they get that from, but that's the idea. Ask, <laughs> ask of God. Now, while we are in prayer and while we are asking, uh, very likely we may feel an encouragement, an excitement even. We may feel a comfort and a peace. And so some of the emotions do get involved when you get involved with good prayer. But uh, it's all, not always the case. Prayer is the Christian's lifeline to God Almighty. Now, here's something else you need to know. Prayer cannot be separated from God's Word. You cannot say, well, I'll just take prayer and forget about God's word. I never did understand much of that anyhow. You can't do that. You cannot separate prayer from the word of God. They go together. They have to go together. It's through the word of God you will learn all about praying. It's through the word of God that God is speaking to your heart. And when you get on your knees or get on your face, there are you pouring your heart out before God. You do want to have a two-way conversation with God, don't you? And the Bible provides most of God's conversation toward us. And then we pray and we provide the other half of it. And God really does want to hear from us. Never make the mistake of thinking that God is way up there in heaven. We're way down here on earth. And so don't say a word. He's not interested. He's got bigger fish to fry. More important problems than you. Don't ever, ever, ever think that. Because God so loved the world, and you can put your own name in there. God so loved, and then put your name in there, that he gave his only begotten son. So that's very, very important that we realize God's tremendous love for each one of us. There's a man, I believe he has 137 children, and I believe that's by about 31 or 32 wives. He's over in India. He just passed away. I can't imagine... 
uh, life like that. Can you? 137 children from 31 or 32 wives. What a disaster. What a mess. What a twisting of God's design. I think that God's design is one man, one woman for one life. I think that's God's design. Now, we don't always see God's design, do we? But come on, 32 wives and 137 children? I wonder if that man was able to spend quality time with each of his children. And yet I'll have you know that God has multiple millions of children and is able to spend quality time with each and every one of his children. So God is very interested in hearing from you. That's a very important truth that we must not forget. Now, as I said today, we're beginning a sermon series on the subject of prayer. We're going to call it Praying with the Giants. And today, we want to learn the first lesson. And so here I'm going to give you the subtitle of today's first lesson. Two words. Pray big. Now, can you say that with me, please? Say it together. Pray big. Now, you're going to have to say it just a little louder. Those masks are muffling you. Say it a little louder, please. Pray big. That's today's lesson. Pray big. Folks at home, pray big. That's very, very important. Now, you might say, why is that so important? I thought, you might say, I, I, I thought God was concerned with the little things in life. You know, the tiny little flowers, the snowflakes, the blades of grass, the number of hairs on our head. Why, I thought God was concerned with the little things. Why is it that we should pray big? Now, it's true. God is concerned with the little things. Listen to this, right down to the molecular level. The molecules that we cannot see, except with these big electron microscopes, we can't see these things. They were only discovered a short time ago in Earth's history, I mean. So it's true, God is concerned right down with the molecules. And, but God is also concerned with the planets, with the sun, the stars. He's concerned with this big planet called Betelgeuse, which is so big, it's so humongous. It makes the sun look like a marble so small you can hardly see it. And God made that thing. God made all of the constellations, all of the Milky Ways, all of the universes. God made it all. And yes, he's concerned with this on a gigantic level. But what we've got here are two extremes. We have the tiny molecular and we've got the gigantic, so big we can't even fathom the size. And God is concerned with both these extremes. But the thing is, you and I don't live in these extremes. Our lives are lived somewhere in between, in this middle ground, anywhere from small to big. Now, perhaps at this point, some Christians will say that they are content to only pray for small things. Oh, pastor, I'm not one of those with my head in the clouds. I only pray for small things. <laughs> You know, I've heard this kind of reply and I've read this sort of argument over the years about being content to pray for little things. But something else that I've noticed, and it's not always true, but it's often true. People who have this mentality of just pray for little things, just little things. 
they're not fully living their lives for God. I'm not saying they don't love God. I'm saying they're not fully living their lives for God. I'm not saying that they're, they've refused to go into full-time ministry. I'm saying they're not fully living their lives for God. They're not reading their Bibles the way they should. They're not spending enough time with God on a daily basis the way they should. They're not involved with God the way they should. Uh, people who, who are just content with tiny little things oftentimes are not obeying God in the areas of faithfulness, tithing, soul winning, um, personal standards. They're, they're not living their lives fully for God. Now, it's not always true. I realize that. But I have found that it is largely the case. Not completely, but largely the case. People who, who say, I'm talking Christian people who say, I'm just content to pray for little things. That sounds nice and pious, doesn't it? It sounds nice and humble. But you start looking at the rest of their lives and all of a sudden you say, whoa, wait a minute, something's not adding up here. Why aren't they involved with reaching the lost? Why aren't they involved in supporting God's work? What's going on here? Now again, not everyone, but it seems, from my experience, over half, the majority, is that way. Now that's just my observation. What I'm saying is that the more we start living our lives for God, the more we will want to see Him glorified. Now that is as easy as 2 plus 2 is 4. The more we live our lives for God, the more excited we're going to have a hunger and thirst to see God lifted up, to see God exalted, to see God glorified, the more we live our lives for God. So the more we want God glorified, the more we're going to start praying for bigger things. This is, this is where it comes from. The Christians who go praying for big things. Now again, I need to say, not every Christian who prays for big things is living his or her life for God fully either. I mean, come on, it does happen. But the majority of Christians who are on a consistent basis praying for great and mighty and wonderful things for God's glory, you look at their lives and you'll find that these are the people that are living more fully for God. They're spending more quality time with God. They're involved with God's plan. They're obeying the scriptures. And so this is why it's very important. This is lesson number one, folks. We learn to pray big. Praying with the giants means learning to pray big. So very, very important. Praying for big things. For God's glory. Forces us to live more godly lives. If I'm going to pray for great and mighty and big things for God, there's something about that that impels me, compels me, pushes me, motivates me, encourages me, calls me to live my life more fully for God. They go together. Start praying for great and mighty things for God and you'll find that there's a, a, a torrent, a current, a force, a power that's carrying you along the highway of holiness. They go together. They really do. The giants have all learned to pray for big things. And that's where it begins with us, folks. With you and with me. We need to start learning to pray for big things. Now, 
Notice I said big things for God and for his glory, not big things for us. Don't be praying big things for yourself. God tells us in Jeremiah 45, verse 5, Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. That's Jeremiah 45, verse 5. That's a good verse. And in Proverbs 23, verse 4, Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Because my wisdom, your wisdom, the world's wisdom, all tells us the same thing. Go for the money. Get rich. If company A offers you a dollar, company B offers you two dollars, forget company A, go with company B. If company C offers you three dollars, forget company B, go with company C. But what you don't see is what God's going to be doing with company C down the road. You've already burned your bridge with company A, company B. All of a sudden, company C is found out to be fraudulent. And boom, you're out of work. And the positions at company A and company B have already been filled. If only we had listened to God, we'd be further ahead. Cease from your own wisdom. Labor not to be rich. See, we don't want to seek big things for our glory. It has to be for God's glory. Very, very important. Praying for big things for God is proper. It's biblical. It helps to increase our faith. Now, your Bible's open at Ephesians chapter 1. It's time to look at verses 18 and 19. Paul's prayer for the Christians in Ephesus. He says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. That's God's calling on your life. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That means it's, you're going to be far richer in heaven than you will be on earth if you follow his calling for your life, if you follow his will. You know, your riches on earth are nothing. They're spit compared to the riches God is going to give you in heaven. Now, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe? That's right now here on earth. This exceeding greatness of his power. It's not just his power. It's not just his great power. It's his exceeding great power. We're talking big. Folks, this is why it's so important that we get a hold of this. Now, one thing I've learned about prayer is that all of the giants, all of the great men and women I've read about in the Bible and down through Christian history, the giants know how to pray big for God's glory. Lesson number one, pray big. So learn to pray big because you won't frighten God. You won't scare God. You might say, well, I've got a pretty active imagination. God's got a bigger one. Take your Bible, please. Turn back to Isaiah. Go back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Let's meet at Isaiah, shall we? Isaiah and chapter 7. An amazing story here. A phenomenal story of a man who was given the opportunity to ask for something big. Anything he wanted. Isaiah chapter number 7. <clears throat> he happened to be the king, King Ahaz. And if you look, please, at... Uh, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 10. Here's God's word to the king. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. And so God was giving Ahaz a blank check. God was saying, ask of a sign. Now, the, there was big 
trouble there in, in you know, the town. There was impending war and doom and disaster. And Ahaz, the king, he was a politician. And God came to him and said, listen, I, I'll, I'll redeem you. I'll protect you. And to prove it, ask me a sign. And he could have asked anything he wanted. What might you have asked? God said, make it a big one. Make it a big one. That's what God was saying. Ask it in the depth or in the height. Make it a big one. Now Ahaz here, what a crazy guy here. God wanted to do something big. But look at Ahaz's reply in verse 12. Ahaz said, I will not ask. Neither will I tempt the Lord. That wasn't tempting the Lord. The Lord was telling him, ask me. Ask anything you want as big as you can possibly think of. I will not ask. I will not tempt the Lord. A bunch of pious baloney. Why is that? Because Ahaz already, already had other plans. He was going to make an allegiance with one of the nasty nations to come and help him fight off some other nasties. That's what he was planning to do. So it's, it's really sad here. You know, Ahaz answered God like how some Christians who are not fully living for God might do so. You know, making little prayers, little requests, because they only have little faith. But in the case of Ahaz, he had no faith. I mean, he was really bad off, I suppose. He had no faith in God. And so God himself gave a sign. And this was to be the sign, the sign of Emmanuel, God with us. That's the virgin birth. Now that's big. That has never, ever, ever happened before or since. It has never happened. No matter what some guy on YouTube told you, no matter what some fellow on his website is flogging, the virgin birth has only ever in all earth's history happened one time. That's it, one time. This morning I was looking for spiritual input. I saw some rabbi who was going to talk about Jonah and the whale. I thought, well, this ought to be interesting. And I started listening to him. He had a nice voice, a pleasant way about him. But you know, he started into the phony baloney. And he said something, and I, I just about died when he said it, about how Jonah went to Nineveh and the king commanded for repentance. You all familiar with the story of Jonah? He went to Nineveh. Well, this rabbi said that Jonah knew in advance that the king would repent because the king was none other than Pharaoh from Egypt. When all of the Egyptians died, there was one who survived, and that was Pharaoh. And he moved from Egypt to Nineveh and became the king. And I'm thinking, how? How can you do this with a straight face? How can you tell those blatant lies and I'm not one given the comments, but I commented this morning. And then I read and a whole bunch of other people had commented similar things. I mean, it's really crazy what's going on. Really crazy. Boy, oh boy, I tell you, it takes some, some kind of faith to believe in that kind of baloney. But Emmanuel was a miracle of miracles. And it was so big, it only ever happened once. Don't you ever ask for this to happen because it won't. God's plan was only for one Emmanuel, okay? 
Praise the Lord for that. Now the world all knows the power of big things. All you got to do is look at Amazon and Tesla and Microsoft and Google and, you know, big. How big are we talking? So big, we, we don't know the end of it. These are the movers and shakers of the world. They move trillions of dollars. So the world knows the power of big things, but the problem is the world does it for all the wrong reasons. The world does it for themselves, for selfish purposes. Now, God knows the power of big things, but God does it for all the right reasons, all the proper reasons. And the closer that you and I will get to God, the more that we will appreciate the power of big things for all the right reasons. So we need to get close to God. The prayer giants are all close to God. By the way, there are still prayer giants in the land. There are still men and women today scattered around the world who are prayer giants. And they'd walk down the street and you wouldn't know them. You'd say, well, there's an ordinary person. There's another ordinary person. There's a weird but ordinary person. There's a little person. There's a big person. Where's the prayer giant? You miss them. They walk right past you. Uh, which one? You could point them out. I still don't see them. No. God sees them in their prayer closets. These prayer giants may be of small stature. They may be of slim build. They may be even ugly. But when they get alone with God, I'm telling you, the angels cover their face. Satan takes off because you have someone in the presence and holiness of God. The prayer giants. And that's what you and I want to become. We want to become prayer giants. We want to learn to pray with the giants. This is so important, folks. All the prayer giants know the importance of praying big for God's glory. It's because big things bring big glory to God. When God had Noah build the ark, that was a big thing, folks. When God sent a flood, it was so big, it was worldwide when God brought His people out of Egypt, He had them cross the Red Sea. That was big. When He gave them the promised land, that was an extremely big thing. When God brought the walls of Jericho down, that was a big thing. When God made the sun stand still so that Israel could finish a battle, that was an unusually big thing. When God had Solomon build the temple, that was a big thing. When he did miracles through Elijah and through Elisha, that was very big indeed. When Jesus came and opened the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf and raised the dead, that was big, big, big. When Jesus told the disciples to go into all the world with the gospel, that was one big command. When Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved, that was big. Imagine if that happened to us at Grace Baptist Church. 3,000 people get saved today and they want to come to church next Sunday. Where are we going to put them? How are we going to buy that many popsicles? Yeah, that was a big thing. All through the Bible, the prayer giants all prayed for big things. All down through the, the church age, we've seen the very same thing happen. Prayer giants 
know how to pray for big things. Missionary Hudson Taylor, he was a medical trainee and he brought the gospel to China and he saw tens of thousands of people saved. He is quoted as saying, you do not need a great faith, but faith in a great God. Missionary William Carey was a shoe cobbler. That's as low on the rung as you can get. He wasn't a shoemaker, he was a shoe cobbler. He'd help fix people's shoes. And he took the gospel to India and saw tens of thousands of people saved. And he is quoted as saying, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. The evangelist D.L. Moody was an uneducated boot and shoe salesman. And yet he preached in America and in England. And he saw one million souls Come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And he is quoted, D.L. Moody is quoted as saying, God doesn't expect the impossible from us. He wants us to expect the impossible from him. Missionary George Mueller was a nobody when he went to Bristol, England and started reaching poor orphans with the gospel and soon started building homes for them, all by faith, until finally he was housing and feeding and schooling over 10,000 children at once. And he did it all by faith through prayer. He was a prayer giant. He made the vow that he would never make his needs known to man, but to God only he would make his needs known. And he is quoted as saying, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. He knew how to pray for big things. It's estimated that in today's currency, $500 million passed through his hands by faith. These men and thousands more just like them were all giants when it came to prayer. They knew the importance of how to pray for big things. Now listen, I want to show you a powerful verse in the Bible. It's in the Gospel of John. I want you to turn there with me right now. Open your Bible to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. As you know, the Lord Jesus was sent by God the Father. And Jesus himself told me, told me, told us, (laughs) told us in the Bible, the Lord Jesus said that he speaks only what the Father tells him to speak. And now we have a promise from God. And you can stand upon this promise because it's one of those big promises. It's in John chapter 15. And I'd like you to read out loud with me verse 7 and verse 8. And you at home, read out loud with me verse 7 and 8, John chapter 15. Let's do it together, beloved. Here we go. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. 
that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. I want you to notice something the Lord Jesus said about bringing forth much fruit. Jesus is talking big. He's not talking about bringing forth a little fruit. He's not talking about finding one little strawberry on the ground and saying, there, I've fulfilled my calling in life. He wants you to bring forth a whole field of strawberries. He doesn't want you to take one apple and say, there, my life's work is done. He wants you to grow a whole orchard of apple trees. Herein is my Father glorified. How? Something big that ye bear much fruit. Much fruit. How are we going to do that? Verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. You say, Pastor, I've never heard such words. Then you've never read John chapter 15. These are Jesus' words. It's his promise. It's like a blank check. Now remember, don't ask for big things for the wrong reasons. Ask for big things for the right reasons. Ask it for God's glory. And God says, ask of me a sign in the depth or in the height. Go ahead. Try me, says the Lord. And we say, all right, one strawberry. Ah, oh, come on. You think God is so poor? You think God is so hard up that he can only muster up one strawberry? God can, can take all the strawberry fields all over the world and give them to you. There is nothing. You see, our problem is we limit God. We are limiting the Almighty when we say, just a little, just tiny, just my prayers for just little. Forget that. That's not biblical. Start praying for big things because it increases faith. It carries you along to live a holy life. You do it for the right reason, you're going to glorify God. I mean, there's no question about it. You can, you can take your one little talent and bury it in the ground, or you can take your 10 talents and turn it into 100 talents. I mean, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100-fold. The Lord Jesus is concerned with some big things and a lot of fruit. Why? What's the motive? To bring God glory. Forget if whether they see we had anything to do with it or not. Let's hide in the shadows. Let's stand behind the cross. Let the world see the miracle and glorify God and, and let them not even know that we had anything to do with it. How about that? Some people wish they could win the lotto. I saw recently the lotto, there was a lotto in Canada somewhere for $70 million. Maybe someone won it, I don't know. I don't even care. Some people want the $70 million for themselves. But imagine if the deal was you could win all the money you want, all the millions you want, but you couldn't keep one penny. You had to give it away to good causes. A lot of people would say, well, I'm not even going to spend my $10 or $5 or whatever. Why waste the money on something that doesn't benefit me? <clears throat> That's the problem. The wrong reasons, the wrong motives. Selfish. We need to pray for God's glory. Now listen, don't you go out of here and say, Pastor told us to go pray for the lotto so that we could give the money to God. Pastor never said that. Pastor said, stay away from the lotto. 
We don't need it. Our Heavenly Father is loaded. He's got far more money than the lotto. The lotto was broke compared to God. That's the truth, folks. That's the honest biblical truth. We need to ask big things to God because God is a big God. God told us, every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. God told us that. God told us, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? God told us that. God told us, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God told us that. God said, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. This world belongs to God. We need to pray for big things for God's glory. There needs to be something on your prayer list that only God can accomplish. There needs to be something that's so big, so much beyond you, that there's no hope whatsoever of you being able to do any of it. There needs to be something that you're praying for. Why don't you pray for the salvation of Surrey? At the moment, see, Jesus said, according to your faith be it unto you, my faith can get a hold of 10% of the city of Surrey to be saved. Now there's 650,000 people in Surrey. 10% is 65,000 people. Pastor, you want to see 65,000 people saved? Oh, I want to see more than that. But right now I'm praying, God save 65,000 people. Pastor, do you not realize what you're asking? Where are we going to put the people? We'll figure out that when the time comes. God is not willing that any should perish. That is the promise upon which I stand. You see, your faith has to be in one of God's promises, right? The 104 building. I've been praying that for two years. I've been examining my heart, my motives. I've been, you know, examining what the devil's been telling me also. You know, the devil gives me thoughts. He does that to all of us. And I've been examining those too. And I've come to a total realization the 104 building would bring God incredible glory. The whole of Surrey would be aghast and amazed if God were to give us that building. And they'd say, how, how did it happen? What did you do? And we'll be able to point them to God Answers Prayer. How did you get it? Praying. Go to GodAnswersPrayer.ca and read for yourself or watch for yourself. And we'll be able to direct people to the gospel. With that building, we could support 200 more missionaries. We could train 50 full-time Bible college students free of charge. We could start our own Christian school and train the children where they're away from the godless society and the godless teaching systems. We could train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And there's so much more we could do for God's glory with that 104 building. That's why it's on my prayer list. And I pray and I go out to visit the building. I've made friends with the caretaker. His name is Inder. I think it's short for Inderjeet. He's a real nice guy. He's the main caretaker up there, the security guard. 
He sees me coming. He waves. I pull over. We chat. We're friends because I believe God can give us that building. And I drive around the building and I park and I pray and I thank God for it. Next Sunday, God willing, I'm going to share with you the secrets that I've been using. And there's one verse of scripture that is so powerful, it'll scare you when it comes to praying with the giants. I suggest that you put the 104 building back on your prayer list. Why pray, oh God, what is your will? What is your will? I'll tell you God's will is to glorify himself. That's God's will. Can that 104 building do that? I believe it can. Now, if you believe it can't, then don't pray for the building. But if you believe it can, then I want you to pray every single day. I want you to pray God does a miracle of miracles because that building is worth tens and tens of millions of dollars. Well, where are we going to get that money? Folks, God, I just told you, God owns everything in the world. Let's let God be God, amen? Let's let God open the Red Sea, amen? Huh? Let's let God make the sun stand still, amen? Don't you want a testimony, a story to tell to others, maybe your children, grandchildren, the great things God has done? <laughs> it starts with praying big. Pray big. Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to his power that worketh in us. Big. John R. Rice wrote me back when I was in Bible college. He said, Dear Brother White, here's what he told me because I kept falling asleep when I was trying to pray. And here's what he told me. The deeper your burden, and he was talking about a burden, a need, something in your life that was a pain, a thorn, some problem, some, some, something you were going after, a blessing for God, something. He said, the deeper your burden, the longer your prayer. The deeper your burden, the longer you'll be able to pray. If you can only pray for 60 seconds and that's it, you might not have a very deep burden. Maybe there is a burden in your heart, in your life, and you don't realize it. You don't realize you're to take it to God and pray. Maybe it's the salvation of a loved one, a father, a mother, a husband, wife, a son, a daughter, an aunt, an uncle, a grandfather, a grandmother. Maybe it's the salvation of someone at work or at school, someone near and dear to you. Oh, you got a burden. Start there. And start to learn to pray big, that God will do something. A revival that was taking place in a church and there was a black sheep, a young man who, who had taken off and lived for the world. And people were praying for him, and even the pastor. And they were down front and they were praying. Well, God was working in that young man's life. The back door opened. The young man came in the church. They, the church people looked. They called out his name. When the pastor, this is the pastor, when the pastor heard the young man's name. The first words out of the pastor's mouth were, no. Total disbelief. And yet they were praying. Total disbelief. Last Wednesday I said about the prayer meeting amongst the farmers. 
The families were coming together to pray for rain. There'd been no rain. One little girl brought an umbrella and some of the farmers laughed at her. Where's the faith? Where is the faith? Folks, lesson number one. What is it? You tell me. Two words. Pray big. Say it again, please. Pray big. I don't think the people at home on the internet heard you. Say it loudly, please. Pray big. You think you can do it? I think you can because if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. So stop limiting God's power. Stop putting bookends on the power of God. Stop saying, well, God can do this, but he can't do anything more. Stop that. And start believing. And praying big. Now let's pray. Our Father, our wonderful Father, our great and majestic, glorious, lifted up, eternal Father, God, who framed this world with just a few words out of his mouth. Everything that came into being because you spoke it into being. And Father, you own everything there is to own. Father, teach us how to pray big. Teach us to be done with little prayers. And to start putting a couple things on our prayer list daily that only, only God can do. Now with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. If you're here in this auditorium or if you're watching online and you've never believed in the Lord Jesus, you've never told Him, yes, you're a sinner on your way to a Christless eternity. You've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins and to come into your heart and be your Savior. Would you do it now? In your heart of hearts, would you pray, Lord, I know I'm lost. I know I'm separated. If I died now, I'm just scared where I, where I would end up. I don't want to go to hell. Jesus, you are God in the flesh. Jesus, forgive my sins. Jesus, come into my heart now. Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. Take me to heaven one day. Save my soul. And I'll thank you for it. And Father, we will thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.